Blog Talk Radio. Addictions or even um, 
mental health. One of the uh, websites is www.nami.org. That's NAMI, National uh, Association of Mental Illness.org. Um, there's another government website. Uh, the government website is called SAMHSA. It's www.samhsa.gov. That stands for Substance Abuse and Mental Health uh, Administration Services. Uh, you have uh, the um, National Institute of Mental Health. That's www.nih.nih.gov. Those are just some, but there's a vast amount of other uh, resources out there. But those four, are really, uh, those three are really uh, good to have um, at your disposal to get information. SAMS is a great government website. They give you free information. Um, they may even send you videos for educational purposes that you may want to know more about a specific addiction. They can give you that information. Uh, so what I'm trying to do today is I want to give um, everyone out there that's listening kind of an overview, uh, not only from my perspective in working with people with severe and persistent mental illness for 20 years uh, and also addictions. Um, a lot of people are very, um, maybe not as well educated as they would like to be about some of these uh, issues. And unfortunately, there's a lot of stigma out there about um, mental health and addiction. And so I hope to um, answer some questions for some of you that call in. If not, if you hear this again, you can always feel free uh, to contact me on Getting Healthy Today on Facebook. Um, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and also um, I have a YouTube channel. So there's various ways you can get in touch with me if you have any questions that I may, I may answer for you. If I can't answer, I'll definitely get it from an expert, uh, a psychiatrist that I know that will give me the answer, and I can get you that information back. And also, I would always say, you know, definitely um, ask your doctor, uh, your psychiatrist if you have one, and questions that you may have about your issues. Uh, one of the things that's really important is asking questions. Um, and like I said, there's a lot of support groups for people with different illnesses. There's a lot of bipolar support groups in your area, I'm sure. You just got to call up and ask. Um, you can look on the looking up bipolar support groups on the Internet. That will give you some information about those things. So today I want to talk about some significant um, mental health uh, diagnoses. Uh, for, once, um, the, for one thing, the, the different diagnoses that people do get, um, they are given that diagnosis if they um, follow a criteria that actually happens um, six months or better. It has to happen six months or better. For instance, um, I'll be, we have a bipolar one disorder, bipolar two disorder, uh, we're going to talk about schizo, uh, schizoaffective disorder, schizophrenia, we have ADHD, uh, major depression, uh, generalized anxiety disorder, and then we're going to talk hopefully about some personality uh, disorders. So major bipolar 1 or bipolar 2, basically bipolar 1 um, is one of the most severe bipolar types. Um, it has manic episodes. Um, these are feelings of Extreme euphoria, um, the person uh, at times can go from extreme euphoria or extreme uh, energy that they feel they have. They have an inflated sense of that they have as much energy as they could have, and there's no ending that situation. And then they unfortunately can crash and get into a depression. So there is that fluctuation of mood. Bipolar 2 is a little less severe, but still nonetheless um, important to follow. Um, they have hypomanic episodes. Um, which the uh, episodes of if a person has an inflated sense of ego, it's not as strong as a person with manic episodes, but there's more psychosis on the bipolar 1 disorder. Um, schizoaffective that you've heard maybe at times, 
schizoaffective um, is very similar to schizophrenia, but slightly different. It's more based on a thought disorder, so there's delusions, hallucinations, paranoia, very similar to schizophrenia, but not on the same severity scale. So if you're looking at a person with schizophrenia and a person with schizoaffective disorder, there's a slight difference, and that the difference is schizophrenia has more severe and chronic persistence of um, uh, needing difficulty with uh, reality testing. They're not really able to function properly. Um, a lot of times they may have problems getting jobs and sustaining it for a long period of time. So if you have somebody in your family that has schizophrenia and they've had constant problems of, of being able to get a job, um, they need a lot of support um, because they may have some possibilities of paranoia or some other issues that interfere with their ability to function. Um, their brain doesn't allow them to do so. Now, one of the things that has been known is that scientists have seen the, the brain of a person with schizophrenia. And if, they were, if you were to look at a person that doesn't have schizophrenia normally and then a brain that, doesn't, uh, that does have schizophrenia, you would see that the ventricles are very narrow and constricted and the blood flow does not go through there. So it has a lot to do with some of the issues with processing information. They would have much more difficulty in uh, relating to people. Um, they may be suspicious of people. So um, being able to comfort this person and helping them into different forms of treatment. And um, the other aspect are ADHD. There are two different forms. There's ADD. That's attention deficit disorder. Um, the person has an in in inability to um, stay focused on a specific task in one period of time. And then there's a hyperactivity component that most children have. Um, usually can remove itself at, at a later time. Usually doctors have said that sometimes ADHD or ADD kind of um, can phase out and not be as difficult as it once was in childhood. Um, but there are people that... Um, may have not been diagnosed as a young child and have ADD eventually, have ADD. They don't have the hyperactivity component, but they do have the ADD component, so they have difficulty in jobs. And a lot of times people can go into um, their, uh, their doctor and they realize they're having some problems and they find out that they have ADD. So there is that, what they call a adult ADD. Um, that's really important to find out if you have something like that. So if you're having some difficulty um, keeping focus, you may want to see if you do may have those different uh, traits. Um, generalized anxiety disorder is a very common um, uh, disorder, and it comes from various situations. Um, the reason why I call it generalized is because sometimes there's no specificity as to what activities cause a person anxiety. It's pretty much a various amount of activities that cause that person to be anxious uh, and not be able to function. Um, but this is over a period of six months or better. So any diagnosis I'm talking about right now, like I said before, is has to be done at six months or better. They have to be um, continuously having these problems for six months straight before a doctor, psychologist, or psychiatrist can say this person has schizophrenia or not. Um, the, um, the other thing is uh, personality disorders. Um, sometimes people um, have difficult time relating to people because they have different types of personality disorders. Um, you may, I used to work in a jail for two years, and there are some um, aspects that people have um, antisocial personality disorder um, or may even have borderline personality disorder. Um, a lot of these um, personality disorders I'm talking about um, can be helped through cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, there's another type of therapy that's used on borderline personality disorder. It's called dialectical behavioral therapy, um, and it was created by a woman by the name of Dr. Linehan, who also I think was also um, – had difficulty with this disorder and became 
well-known in this field to help people learn about mindfulness, um, crisis intervention building, that kind of thing, helping uh, an individual understand their, their uh, problems with coping. And the person that has borderline personality has sometimes feelings of abandonment and has problems in relationships uh, significantly. So, um, and there's some trust issues that happen. Uh, there is a dependent personality disorder, which is hence the word dependent personality disorder. The person is a uh, consistently dependent individual and has difficult time to relate uh, and not be able to do it on their own uh, certain things. Um, you have a narcissistic personality disorder, um, and that usually is having an inflated sense of self, um, and then the person uh, tends to uh, not be very empathetic towards others. Um, then we have another disorder of personality. It's called histrionic. And that's um, basically a person is extreme, has an extreme need to be an attention seeker uh, and can be, um, can be seen having these issues of wanting approval from others consistently and is unable to um, create a more self-directed uh, approach to things. Okay? Um, now, addictions, like we were talking about before, um, addictions are very complex. Uh, when you're speaking to a person with an addiction, um, a lot of times there is many, many different layers of that individual that makes it very complex to treat. Um, there is uh, what we call the psychosocial, biopsychosocial model that we tend to use in uh, treatment. Um, sometimes uh, some of you may be out there thinking, why is it that certain rehabs don't um, help people? Um, my, my theory is a lot of times that the uh, the problem is that they only give you, the insurance only allows you 14 to 28 days at a given time. If the insurance would give you 90 days, um, I don't know, last week I talked about if you have a habit, it takes 21 days to start a habit and then 90 days to make a lifestyle. So if you gave a person that has an addiction 90 days of treatment, um, that person would be in a better situation to, uh, to deal with that. Um, but one of the things that's important is that it is the individual that has to make the choice of being committed to that particular issue because what happens is if they're not committed to their addiction, it's very hard for you as a person to convince them that they need to get help. Um, it is a self-directed situation sometimes. But there has to be a continuous intervention from family and other treatment providers to help the person consistently go through the path of, of the addiction. Um, one of the things that I have talked about in, in some of my Facebook posts have been uh, the stages of change that has come from uh, uh, DiClemente and Prochaska who talked about stages of change, that people go through stages of change in order to get um, to a goal. And one of them is pre-contemplative where they don't know they need a, a help with anything. They don't think they have a problem. And then you're the counselor and you're trying to help them through what's called motivational interviewing and you're trying to help them through cognitive therapy approaches as well. And a lot of times, um, a lot of therapists, a lot of treatment centers use a different amount of or various treatment modalities to get the person uh, to understand the individual. But basically, you have to um, uh, connect with the individual on a more individualized level. A lot of times, you can't just use the same approach with everybody because you really have to know the individual. Um, most of the time, we do what's called an individualized treatment plan because that's truly the only way you can help the individual. Because some people have 
unfortunate couple things going on. A person with addiction might have had, and there's uh, scientists that have proven that people that have um, addictions have issues with, um, they've been abused uh, or had experienced some kind of trauma simultaneously throughout their life, which um, could have caused them to have, that weren't unresolved uh, through therapy, they never received therapy. Um, I felt uh, that in my mind when I've worked with people over the years that a lot of the folks that I've seen, there's been a lot of incest, there's been a lot of um, uh, problems, and there's been a uh, history of parents of theirs being in drugs a drug abuser, and then they become a drug abuser. A lot of times, if both parents are drug abusers, the tendency for that individual, I would say it's 50-50, but statistics say if you have two parents that are heroin addicts, you will in turn become a heroin addict. However, what I have seen is if the individual learns from what their parents have done and sees that that is really something that they shouldn't be getting into, a lot of times you'll see some people not follow the same path as their parents. But that's through education and modeling that is useful for that individual. Um, the other issues are um, like personality disorders. Some people have antisocial personality disorder and they have legal aspects that affect their, be, uh, their behaviors. Uh, so some people may have antisocial personality traits that in fact uh, make it difficult for them to uh, stay out of trouble. Uh, they have problems with accepting authority figures. Um, I've worked with people that are on parole or probation and they have a real tough time uh, dealing with parole, parole officers or probation officers, but don't have too much of a problem maybe with counselors. They still see them as authority figures, but they're not as, they don't consider them as severe because they, they see them as helpers, not um, someone that's trying to get at them. Um, one of the things I want to tell you about the bipolar disorder um, diagnosis is that um, there's a lot of tendency to um, uh, people have, also, with bipolar disorder, can sometimes have a substance abuse, what they call comorbid at the same time. They can have it. Uh, when, you're, when you're addicted to a drug and you also have a mental health disorder, it's called dual diagnosis. And there are programs out there. It's called dual, uh, dual Recovery Anonymous. For anonymous groups, they have groups for people that have mental health condition and a substance abuse. And they, you can find those anywhere in your local town. You just have to look it up on DRA.org, I believe. And um, you can find different meeting sites for that. Now, some people don't believe in the 12-step program. Um, there's various addiction-related uh, self-help groups out there. There's rational recovery that takes a different approach than the 12-step recovery. Um, but my suggestion to everyone out there who is dealing with addictions and who is a family member is to be well-educated about the, uh, the person that you're working with or, or you're related to. If they have a heroin addiction, it's good to find someone in your local community that could teach you about that, uh, that, can, uh, that particular substance abuse problem. Um, but also remember that you have personality uh, involved in this process, that the personality of the individual has a lot to do with how this person is going to uh, be treated. Um, unfortunately, when people have overdosed or have passed away through drugs, um, the, the families feel um, very lost and alone and very confused about what has transpired. Um, but I would like to give some comfort to those families to let them understand that um, you did nothing wrong, that your support was there, that unfortunately sometimes what happens is the addiction um, affects the person's ability to rationalize clearly. So um, a lot of times a person's doing really well, and then they suddenly go backwards. Um, unfortunately, relapse is part of the process, but what we, what we try to do as we 
go through the process is learn how we can make it less uh, likely to happen to the person. So we try to educate the person about that. Um, but like I said, each person, the addiction affects that individual differently. And the, the struggle is that the family, is, it's hard for them to um, grasp how complex it is sometimes and what can they do. Um, and a lot of times you're doing everything you can do, but you want to do more. Um, but that's where the complexity of the uh, addiction is. Um, but keep reminding yourself that, that everything is, um, you know, relative to what you've, what you're, what's going on at the time. Um, it's not your fault. You didn't, uh, a lot of times we feel like we didn't do enough, um, but that's not quite so. Um, it, it, it's just, um, it's an unfortunate situation and it's part of what the addiction does to the individual. Um, now, one of the things that uh, there's a gentleman out there in the community in New York, his name is Dr. Amen, and he basically has done uh, brain scans on many different people with many different issues. And he, they're finding that if they can do some more brain studies, they can find certain things that could help them um, maybe change the way that the medicine is treating the person. Because there's certain mechanisms in the brain that they're trying to attack to see if that could change the way a person um, uh, is able to function with their, with their addiction. Um, now, the problem is that the brain is being, the, the physiology of addiction is really, really important. A lot of scientists are looking at how the brain actually functions when under the influence of, of these different drugs. And is there anything that we could do either behaviorally, socially, environmental? There's so many different factors that impact the person's uh, issues. And that, and that is to do with those five different things, you know, the psychological stability of the individual. Um, a lot of times someone in addiction wants to self-loathe themselves. They don't feel that they deserve to have success. Um, unfortunately, they go through something called fear, success, fear, failure kind of thing. They, um, they have an inner struggle with themselves. And unfortunately, um, their self-concept has been uh, compromised so greatly at times that it can be um, stuck. They get into a stuck mode where they're not able to um, expand upon that. Um, so no matter what you tell them, they're not listening to you because they don't see it as you've seen it. They just think you're just telling them that. They really don't have the connection. So what it is is you're trying to make the connection with the individual, and the person is disconnected from you and doesn't believe what you're saying to them is the truth. Um, and that's what happens. Um, part of the brain does get impacted. It's there are times where it feels like, uh, doctors have said, it's like a brain damage in some way because of the amount of drug use over years. So if you've done drugs for 15 years off and on, um, the inconsistency of that can affect the way you manage the, 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 uh, the addiction. Um, so, you know, a lot of times a person that has depression um, and started using alcohol, alcohol is a depressant, so it kind of furthers that person's depression as they move on, and it becomes more dangerous, and, and um, issues can come up. You know, they can have more uh, ideas of suicide and things like that. So you need to monitor abuse, um, mental state, uh, ask, find out how they're doing socially. Um, if they're withdrawing themselves from you um, drastically, um, you know, I would definitely do a periodic check on them to make sure that there's no change that warrants them to be maybe brought to the hospital. Um, now, 
one of the, the difficulties uh, in working with someone who has a mental condition is um, they don't feel like they're everybody else. Um, they sort of feel um, outcasted, and then there's stigma involved. So there's been a lot of issues that I've worked with many people is helping them destigmatize themselves and not allow themselves to feel like they're any less than any one of us who may or may not have a, um, a condition. Um, so it's good to uh, put yourself in a, in a maybe family therapy if that helps you to, to deal with some of those issues uh, and help the person sort out what it is that they are unhappy about. Um, one of the things is you want to foster communication with people that have this condition. Um, now, schizophrenia, for instance, the hardest part about that is they may be suspicious of you and you may feel like they are unable to control their behavior, which may be true. Um, you may have an issue of uh, not taking the medication. They feel that the medication doesn't work. Um, but what you need them to do is to be more open to speak to their doctor and, and tell them how it is working or it's not working. Um, but basically what happens in treatment is a combination of behavior modification, uh, what we call psychopharmacology, using medication, also um, encouraging uh, improved coping skills. Um, the more a person feels more likely to be a part of society. So a lot of times, if the person can be stably, uh, can be, um, become more stable with their symptoms, and some work has been introduced, studies have shown, the evidence out there has shown that if a person is involved in some kind of work, um, moderately stressful, because every job is stressful, um, that having somebody go back to work that has a mental condition has improved a person's self-worth because they feel connected to society. So a lot of times if, you're, if a person is being withdrawn from not going to work, um, they, uh, they may not feel positive about that situation. Uh, so if you think about it, you know, the different issues that people have, which stems from maybe not being supported in many different ways, either through society or maybe family, friends, um, and that stigma. Um, so in talking about quickly goal settings, um, a lot of folks that are in this situation when they're trying to create goals for themselves, um, they're looking for short-term and long-term. So they're looking for uh, goals that will help them to uh, improve their, their quality of life. So each goal is based upon making small changes, uh, maybe improving their coping skills in that way. Okay. All right, folks. Um, I hope uh, this was helpful and useful. Next week, I'm going to talk more about uh, some issues that we talked about today and, and some other stuff, maybe some entrepreneur stuff. So it's been great uh, talking to all of you. I hope to see you next week. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.